This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week we honor the year in music for 1997 along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1997. We also look at two of this year's nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Plus, our Spotlight Museum is the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 1997. In music, the song Candle in the Wind, the Princess Diana edition, was first played at Princess Diana's funeral and then released as a single. It became the biggest selling single of the year and of all time worldwide. The biggest phenomenon of the year was also related to Great Britain, Spice Girl Mania, as the Spice Girls released their debut album and then released their movie Spice World at the end of the year. Other artists who burst onto the scene in 1997 included Third Eye Blind, The Backstreet Boys, Meredith Brooks, Duncan Cheek, Savage Garden, Paula Cole, Missy Elliott, and Hanson. Radiohead also released their iconic album OK Computer that year. Also out in 1997, blank recordable CDs as the big three recording companies, TDK, Maxell, and Memorex, all put out different versions of the new technology. The Spice Girls album Spice was the biggest selling album of 1997, according to Billboard magazine. Other big albums were by Radiohead, U2, No Doubt, Notorious B.I.G., Puff Daddy, Mace, George Strait, Aerosmith, Scarface, Prodigy, Oasis, and Celine Dion. Aside from Elton John's Candle in the Wind Princess Diana single, other big singles for the year included Jewel's You Were Meant for Me, Puff Daddy's I'll Be Missing You, and also Can't Nobody Hold Me Down, Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly, and Vogue's Don't Let Go, Mark Morrison's classic Return of the Mac, Leanne Rimes' How Do I Live, and the Spice Girls' Wannabe. In country music, Garth Brooks played to over 1 million fans at a free concert in Central Park in New York City. Shania Twain released her album, Come On Over, which became the biggest-selling country album of all time. Other big albums included George Strait's Carrying Your Love With Me, Leanne Rimes' Unchained Melody, The Early Years, and also You Light Up My Life, Inspirational Songs. Tim McGraw's Everywhere. Trisha Yearwood's Songbook, a collection of hits, Garth Brooks's Sevens, Brooks and Dunn's The Greatest Hits Collection, Colin Ray's The Best of Colin Ray, Direct Hits, and Tracy Lawrence's The Coast is Clear. Trisha Yearwood and Leanne Rimes both recorded versions of the song How Do I Live for the Nicolas Cage movie Con Air. Rhymes was asked to record it first, but the record label thought that her voice sounded too young for the song, so they got Trisha Yearwood to sing it. Both versions ended up being released. While Leanne Rhymes's version hit number two on the pop charts, Trisha's version made it big on the country charts. 
Tim McGraw and Faith Hill's song, It's Your Love, became the first song to spend six straight weeks at number one on the country charts in 20 years. Other artists with big country hits included Shania Twain's Love Gets Me Every Time, Kevin Sharp's Nobody Knows, George Strait's One Night at a Time, Deanna Carter's How Do I Get There, Clay Walker's Rumor Has It, Kenny Chesney's She's Got It All, Garth Brooks's Long Neck Bottle, Brooks and Dunn's A Man This Lonely, and Reba McIntyre's How Was I to Know. In hip-hop, P. Diddy slash Puff Daddy and the family's No Way Out was one of the biggest albums of the year. Other big albums were Notorious B.I.G.'s Life After Death, Wu-Tang Clan's Wu-Tang Forever, Tupac's Are You Still Down, Bone Thugs and Harmony's The Art of War, Mace's Harlem World, and Masterpiece Ghetto D. Two songs from P. Diddy's album went to the top of the charts. I'll Be Missing You, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down, while All About the Benjamins went to number two. The late Notorious B.I.G. hit number one posthumously with Hypnotized and Mo Money, Mo Problems. Other big hip-hop songs included Bone Thugs and Harmony's Look Into My Eyes, DeBrat's Ghetto Love, Scarface's Smile, Mace's Feel So Good, Buster Rhymes is Dangerous, Coolio See You When You Get There, Timberland and Magoo's Up Jumps the Boogie, and Warren G's I Shot the Sheriff. In dance music, the famed Hacienda Club in Manchester, England was shut down due to bad behavior at the club, including some shootings and a fatal drug overdose. The first Electric Daisy Carnival Music Festival took place, not in its recent location of Las Vegas, but in its original location of Los Angeles. Dance music was dominated on the charts by pop and R&B artists like Tony Braxton, U2, Madonna, Kenny G, Janet Jackson, George Michael, Mariah Carey, Usher, and P. Diddy. And even though those artists were all over the number one dance slots on the dance charts, there were some more quote-unquote legit EDM artists who made an impact. For instance... Daft Punk released their debut album Homework and their landmark songs Defunk and Around the World. Defunk and Around the World both went to number one. The Chemical Brothers put out their album Dig Your Own Hole while Bjork released Homogenic. Faithless's classic song Insomnia was also at the top of the dance charts, as were the prodigies Smack My Bitch Up, Olive's You're Not Alone, Funky Green Dogs Fired Up, Moby's James Bond Theme, Sash's Ecuador, Ultra Natty's Free, Todd Terry's Something Going On, and Robert Miles' Fable. DJ Mag had its very first Top 100 DJs list that was voted on by readers and not by music critics. And according to that, the top 10 on the chart were Carl Cox, Paul Oakenfold, Sasha, Judge Jules, Tony DeVitt, Pete Tong, Danny Rampling, Hype, Groove Rider, and Jeremy Healy. In Latin music, the biggest artists were Julio and Enrique Iglesias, Grupo Limite, Selena, Shakira, Luis Miguel, The Gypsy Kings, Juan Gabriel, Los Temerarios, and Los Del Rio, who went back to that Macarena well to try to repeat the success of their 1996 smash hit Macarena with their new song, Macarena Nonstop.
In music theater, musicals that opened in 1997 included Titanic, Dream, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Jekyll and Hyde, and The Lion King. Musical revivals that opened included 1776, Candide, and Annie. The Spice Girls movie Spice World came out in December that year. There were other musical films released, though. For instance, you had Selena, starring Jennifer Lopez. You had the documentaries Year of the Horse, about Neil Young and Crazy Horse, and Rhyme and Reason, about hip-hop. There were also the animated musicals Anastasia, Cats Don't Dance, and Disney's Hercules. There was also the Disney Channel movie Cinderella, which starred Brandy as the title character and Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother. And even though they were black women playing what were traditionally white European fantasy roles, no one made a big deal about it. Unlike 2023's Little Mermaid's Black Mermaid. Seriously, people, get over yourselves already. Anyway... Bands that formed in 1997 included Coldplay, The Buckwheat Boys, Death Cab for Cutie, Destiny's Child, Eiffel 65, Gym Class Heroes, Interpol, The Plain White Tees, New Found Glory, The New Radicals, Solar Stone, Venga Boys, Ying Yang Twins, and The White Stripes. Bands who broke up before their inevitable reunions or who announced their hiatuses included Accept, My Bloody Valentine, Bonham, Low Life, The Kinks, Big Audio Dynamite, Lodestar, New Riders of the Purple Sage, Obituary, Quad City DJs, The Rembrandts, Dinosaur Jr., The Power Station, EMF, Rainbow, Real to Real, Diatribe, Bread, The Cocktoo Twins, The Fugees, The Gin Blossoms, Ghost Town DJs, Ugly Kid Joe, Throwing Muses, and Soundgarden. Bands that reformed in 1997 included Blondie, Depeche Mode, Echo and the Bunnymen, Jane's Addiction, and Sunny Day Real Estate. Artists who were born in 1997 included DJ Alan Walker, rappers Coyle Ray, Lil Yachty, Rico Nasty, Blueface, Cupcake, Asia Doll, Kodak Black, 070 Shake, and Lalissa Manaban, along with singers Young Kook of BTS, Camila Cabello, Becky G, Her, Rose from Blackpink, Ruby Rose, the DJ and actress, Bella Thorne, the singer and actress, Rebecca Black of Friday fame, Dina Lane from Fifth Harmony, Park Jimin, Zara Larson, Phineas O'Connell, otherwise known as Billie Eilish's brother, Georgia Smith, and Youngblood. Artists who passed away in 1997 included the notorious B.I.G. who was shot and killed, and which was why all his albums suddenly shot up the charts. No pun intended. Also, singers Towns Van Zant, Michael Hutchins of NXS, who committed suicide, John Denver, who passed away in an experimental airplane crash, Jeff Buckley, who accidentally drowned, Fela Kuti, Laura Nero, Laverne Baker, Nicolette Larson, Ronnie Lane, Jimmy Rogers, Jimmy Witherspoon, Johnny Copeland, Thelma Carpenter, Billy McKenzie of The Associates, Ron Holden, Lawrence Payton of The Four Tops, guitarist Randy California, Luther Allison, and Michael Hedges, Elvis Presley's manager Colonel Tom Parker, opera singer Charles Craig, conductor George Salty, 
drummer Tony Williams and jazz violinist Stefan Grappelli. In awards for the music of 1997, Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind won Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards, while Sean Colvin's Sonny Came Home won Song and Record of the Year. Paula Cole won Best New Artist. The ceremony, though, is probably better known for when New York actor Michael Portnoy went on stage shirtless during Bob Dylan's performance of his song Lovesick and started dancing, with the words Soy Bomb written on his bare chest before being escorted off stage by security. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Jamiroquai won Video of the Year for Virtual Insanity. Leanne Rimes won Artist of the Year at the Billboard Music Awards. The Spice Girls were the big winners at the American Music Awards. Erica Badu was the big winner at the Soul Train Music Awards. Whitney Houston, Reba McIntyre, and Garth Brooks won the music categories at the People's Choice Awards. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held in Dublin, Ireland that year, Katrina and the Waves from England won for the song Love Shine a Light. Katrina and the Waves were also one of the better-known Eurovision contestants since Celine Dion in 1988, with Katrina and the Waves having found commercial success originally in 1985 with the hit song Walking on Sunshine. Garth Brooks won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards, and he also won the same award at the Academy of Country Music Awards. The Verve won Best British Album for Urban Hymns, and All Saints won Best Song for Never Ever at the Brit Awards. Sarah McLaughlin won Best Album for Surfacing, and she also won Best Song for Building a Mystery at the Juno Awards. Savage Garden won Album of the Year for their self-titled album and Song of the Year for Truly Madly Deeply at the Aria Music Awards. At the Tony Awards, Titanic won Best Musical and Chicago won Best Revival of a Musical. Musically at the Academy Awards, My Heart Will Go On from Titanic won Best Song. Since Best Film Score was actually split that year into two different categories, and Dudley's the Full Monty score won Best Film Score for Musical and Comedy, while James Horner's score for Titanic won Best Dramatic Film Score. The Pulitzer Prize for Music went to Blood on the Fields by Wynton Marsalis, who became the first jazz artist to win that particular award. Ronnie Size and Represent won the Mercury Prize for the album New Forms, and Paul McCartney was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II that year. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was held on May 6th at the Renaissance Cleveland Hotel in Cleveland, Ohio for the first time since 1986, when it had always been held at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. There was some drama before the ceremony, though, as Buffalo Springfield inductee Neil Young did not show up for the induction because he was protesting people having to pay $1,500 per plate to be inducted. He was also protesting that the ceremony was being broadcasted on VH1 for some reason or other. Fellow Buffalo Springfield bandmate Stephen Stills was inducted twice that night once as a member of Buffalo Springfield, and once as a member of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. At the ceremony, the Hall inducted King Records founder Sid Nathan into the non-performers category. Mahalia Jackson and Bill Monroe were inducted into the early influencers category. In the performers category, 
the Hall inducted the Bee Gees, Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Joni Mitchell, the Young Rascals, the Jackson Five, and this next group. If you are a fan of early hip-hop, then known as rap music, then you know that a lot of the samples came from two different people, James Brown and George Clinton. In fact, they were sampled so much that they could have never worked again in their lives and lived off the royalties if any of those people actually paid them royalties for the samples they took. What James Brown did for soul and R&B music, George Clinton did for funk music, injecting it with a psychedelic blend, inventing a new form of music called P-Funk, and all with a performance showmanship that has often been imitated but never duplicated ever since. George Clinton himself was born on July 22, 1941. He started a group at age 15 in Plainfield, New Jersey, called the Parliaments, whose name he took from Parliament Cigarettes. In the early days, their musical style was influenced by doo-wop and vocal R&B acts at the time. They also garnered local recognition for their soulful performances and tight harmonies, displaying early signs of their musical prowess. In 1964, George decided to get a backup band for the group and drop doo-wop for smooth funk. His first backup band had Eddie Hazel on lead guitar, Tal Ross on rhythm guitar, Billy Bass Nelson on bass, Tiki Fullwood on drums, and Mickey Atkins on keyboards. The Parliaments caught the attention of Motown Records in the early 1960s, and after Motown signed them, they released a bunch of singles, including the regional hit I Want to Testify in 1967. However, Despite some regional success in the upper Midwest area, the Parliament struggled to achieve widespread national recognition under the Motown record label. Frustrated with Motown and looking for a new direction, the group underwent a significant transformation. Due to the record label that they ended up on, Revolt Records going bankrupt, they lost the rights to the name the Parliaments. The Parliaments then had to rebrand themselves as Parliament, shedding their previous sound and embracing a more experimental and progressive approach. This transformation allowed them to explore new musical territories and break free from the Motown assembly line way of doing things. Parliament's evolution was marked by a fusion of funk, soul, and various musical influences, drawing inspiration from the energy of James Brown, the psychedelic sounds at the time of Jimi Hendrix, and the more eclectic nature of Sly and the Family Stone. Parliament crafted a distinct funk sound characterized by infectious bass lines, intricate horn arrangements, and Clinton's distinctive vocal style. The band's breakthrough came with the release of their landmark album, The Mothership Connection, in 1975. This album introduced the concept of an intergalactic funk mythology with band members portraying extraterrestrial characters. The concept became a recurring theme in their subsequent albums and live performances, sometimes with over 40 performers on stage, and with the iconic Mothership stage prop becoming a symbol of Parliament's imaginative and theatrical approach. 
The mothership stage prop is actually in the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., along with some of the group's costumes. In 1968, George also decided to add an additional project to his repertoire. He took his backup band and called the new band Funkadelic, establishing their distinct musical identity and creating the new musical genre P-Funk. Billy Bass Nelson is the person who's credited with calling the band Funkadelic. This change reflected their intention to delve into a heavier, more guitar-oriented sound while retaining the rhythmic foundations of funk music. And it was also during this time that the band's lineup expanded to include such legendary performers as Bootsy Collins on bass and Bernie Worrell on keyboards. Eventually, after having both groups running separately at the same time in order to take care of George's creative ideas, both bands would merge into Parliament Funkadelic. There were also spin-offs of the band such as Bootsy's Rubber Band and The Brides of Funkenstein. A Funkadelic self-titled debut album released in 1970 showcased their experimental approach to music. Tracks like I'll Bet You and Music for My Mother epitomized their unique blend of psychedelic elements, distorted guitar riffs, and soulful vocals. Funkadelic subsequent albums continued to push the boundaries of musical innovation. Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow, which was released in 1970, and Maggot Brain, which was released in 1971, exemplified the band's cosmic themes and experimentation. These albums featured extended jam, soulful ballads, and mesmerizing guitar solos, creating expansive sonic landscapes that captivated the listeners at the time. And while initially operating outside the mainstream, Funkadelic achieved commercial success with the release of their album One Nation Under a Groove in 1978. The title track became an instant funk anthem embodying the band's message of unity and musical liberation. This commercial breakthrough propelled Funkadelic into the mainstream, solidifying their position as one of the foremost funk rock acts of the era. Funkadelic's influence extended far beyond their commercial success. Their groundbreaking fusion of funk, rock, and psychedelia inspired countless musicians across many genres. Their experimental sound, socially conscious lyrics, and mesmerizing stage performances left an indelible mark on the music industry as a whole. Artists ranging from Prince and the Red Hot Chili Peppers to contemporary funk and rock acts continue to draw inspiration from Funkadelic's eclectic and boundary-breaking approach. As the 1980s came around, the collective broke up and went their separate ways. A lot of them went on to other projects, solo albums, or guest spots on other artists' tours. For instance, Bernie Worrell, for a time, went on tour with the group The Pretenders. Bootsy Collins ended up in a number of artists' songs, most notably D-Light's classic dance track Groove is in the Heart, along with putting out his own albums. George kept going with solo work and had the hit song Atomic Dog, which got sampled a ton of times, along with getting put in various commercials and movies having dogs in them, of course. George eventually put a new collective of artists together for the 21st century, named them Parliament Funkadelic, and went out on tour. 
Due to worsening medical conditions, he's either in the middle of his now extremely lengthy farewell tour, or he's finally concluded it, at least of this podcast. Either separately or as a combined collective, the group put out some of the most iconic funk albums and songs of all time. Albums such as The Mothership Connection, One Nation Under a Groove, and Up for the Downstroke, along with singles such as Stomp, my personal favorite, One Nation Under a Groove, and Flashlight. They've also received a Grammy Award as well as a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Recording Academy. When it came time for the collective to be inducted, the list of official inductees was whittled down from almost a hundred different members over the decades to 15 inductees. Presented for induction by 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Prince, all hail the mothership. The inductees, Bernie Worrell, Bootsy Collins, Calvin Thang Simon, Cardell Boogie Mawson, Clarence Fuzzy Haskins, Eddie Hazel, Gary M. Scheider, Gene Grady Thomas, Glenn Lamont Goines, Jerome Bigfoot Braley, Michael Kid Funkadelic Hampton, Raymond Davis, Tiki Fullwood, Walter Junie Morrison, William Billy Bass Nelson Jr., and of course, the P-Funk master himself, Mr. George Clinton. The collective known as Parliament Funkadelic, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997, and we have a selection of their music on this week's music podcast playlist, the link to which is in the show notes. Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you that there is now a Music History In-Depth podcast where we go more in-depth on a few of the events that happened in music history for that particular week. The Music History In-Depth podcast drops every Tuesday on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from, as does our Music History Today podcast, which goes over the daily events in music history. The Music History Today podcast drops daily, including weekends, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to this podcast. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently announced its nominees for the performers category for this year's induction into the next class for the hall. This list does not include whoever they decide will be inducted in the other categories like musical excellence or early influencer. Therefore, the performers list is as follows. Mary J. Blige, Mariah Carey, Cher, The Dave Matthews Band, Eric B. and Rakim, Foreigner, Peter Frampton, Jane's Addiction, Cool and the Gang, Lenny Kravitz, Oasis, Sinead O'Connor, Ozzy Osbourne, Charday, and The Tribe Called Quest. Not a bad list at all. In fact, the thing I love about it is how diverse this class is. I know the purists out there only want to see white rock acts be inducted, but hey, guess what? Rock and roll was black music back in the 1950s until people like Elvis Presley and Sam Phillips came along and started making money off of it. So that whole white rock music only argument that I've seen on YouTube lately concerning the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sorry, MAGA morons, but you don't know music history. Music is for everybody. 
and by everyone, regardless of race, creed, color, gender, sexuality. Don't matter. Handle it and stop melting, you snowflakes on YouTube. Anyway, the good news is that you now get to vote for whoever gets inducted, as the fan vote is a small part of the total vote. Go to rockhall.com to vote. We will put that link in the show notes. You can vote for seven artists once a day, every day, through April 26th. For the next couple of months, we're going to make the case for you to vote for an artist to be inducted. We will look at at least two artists per episode until we get through the entire list. This week, it is Cher and Cool in the Gang's turns on the hot seat. First up, let's go with Cher. Cher actually made some news not too long ago when she said on a talk show that she would not want to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, even if they gave her a million dollars. This was in response to a question that she received on a talk show about why she hasn't been inducted into the hall yet. Her response actually made news because I guess it was a slow news month with absolutely nothing of importance going on in the world like, oh, I don't know, war in Europe or the Middle East. So what better for the press to focus on than this particular story? Be that as it may, I do actually have a theory as to why she's not in the hall yet, which I will get to in a minute. Before then, though, as always, let's check her stats. To the tale of the tape we go. Cher has released 27 studio albums, 3 live albums, 4 soundtrack albums, and 10 compilation albums. Of those, 15 hit the top 40 in America, with 7 of those 15 going top 10. The highest charting ones being 2013's Closer to the Truth and 2018's Dancing Queen, which both hit number 3. Cher has also released 84 singles. Of those, 34 have gone top 40 in America, with 12 of those 34 going top 10, including 4 going all the way to number 1. 1971's Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, 1973's Half-Breed, 1974's Dark Lady, and 1998's Classic Believe. Cher has sold over 100 million records worldwide. She is one of the few solo artists to have had a song go top 40 on the American charts in seven consecutive decades, with her first being 1965's All I Really Want to Do, and her latest being 2023's DJ Play a Christmas Song. She is also the only solo artist to have a number one song on an American music chart for seven consecutive decades. So, with that much dominance, along with being a style icon, and for also having a few popular TV music variety shows, plus her many other accolades and honors, including a Kennedy Center honor, why didn't she make the induction list until now? My thinking is to why both she and some other women have either not been inducted or why it took forever for them to be inducted lies with the power of one man. Jan Wenner, 
who used to run Rolling Stone magazine and was one of the chief forces behind getting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to be built, had up until recently either been the head of the Hall of Fame or a board member with all the power and influence on the nominating committees that come with the position. Jan has now actually been dropped as a board member by the Hall due to some comments about female musical artists that he gave in an interview while pushing his book about rock pioneers. Google them if you want to know what he said. I'll just say that they weren't exactly flattering, but they brought to light his thinking about women which also makes me think that he was probably one of the big reasons, if not the reason, why women have taken forever to get into the hall or even to make progress into getting into the hall. Now that he's been sidelined, maybe the logjam can be broken, and it looks like it's beginning to be, as witnessed by the fact that even Cheryl Crow got in last year. And many other women who deserve to be inducted, just like Cheryl Crow does, love me some Cheryl, can finally get in. Cher absolutely deserves to be inducted, even though she ain't going to show up, not even for a million dollars. Sorry, kids, unless, of course, someone talks her into it. Paging Dolly Parton, by the way, on that. Anyway, let's talk about Cool and the Gang for getting into the Hall of Fame. Let's go and check their stats as well. Cool and the Gang released 26 studio albums, 4 live albums, and 19 compilation albums. Of those, 20 went top 40 across the American music charts, including 12 going top 10, and 2 of those 12 going to number 1, those two being 1979's Ladies' Night and 1981's Something Special. The group also released 68 singles. Of those, 52 of them hit the top 40 on the various American charts, with 25 of those 52 hitting the top 10, and 6 of those 25 hitting number 1. They've sold almost 8 million albums and 5 million singles in America, and 70 million records worldwide, and their songs still get played ad nauseum on radio stations and sports stadiums to this very day, especially their huge hit, Celebration. As far as their influence goes, it was pretty much every R&B group of the 1970s and early 80s, including the Commodores, who we're going to weave back to in just a minute. Cool and the Gang were one of the few groups to become big on the R&B, pop, and adult contemporary charts in the 1970s and 80s, especially once they changed their sound to a more mainstream pop-oriented sound with ballads like Cherish, much like Lionel Richie and the Commodores did in the same time period when they put out songs like Three Times a Lady, weaving back to the Commodores, like I said. What people tend to forget about Cool and the Gang is that they started making hits way back in 1969, and they actually started out as a funk band. They had funk hits like Funky Stuff, Jungle Boogie, and Hollywood Swinging. As much as their pop songs, Cherish, Fresh, and Celebration became smash hits, with Celebration being inducted into various halls of fame, including the Library of Congress National Recording Registry, it's been hip-hop and other pop culture who have been extremely influenced by the group. For instance, Jungle Boogie was one of the more memorable songs that was used in the movie Pulp Fiction. Hollywood Swinging has been sampled in hip-hop so many times that you tend to forget that 
Cool and the Gang actually did the original version with its famous horn opening and beat that have been used in songs like Mace's hit song, Feel So Good, which also, by the way, includes a lyrical sample from Gloria Stefan and Miami Sound Machine's hit, Bad Boy. Do Cool and the Gang deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. The answer is an absolute yes, because there have been plenty of R&B groups who have made it in already, from Earth, Wind & Fire to Parliament Funkadelic, so the precedence has been set. The spinners are in, in fact, they just got in, and if they're in, then there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't vote for Coolin' the Gang to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So... Remember to go to rockhall.com to vote. We, as I said, we'll put that link in the show notes for you. You can vote for seven artists once a day, every day through April 26th. As of right now, the top three vote getters, by the way, are Ozzy Osbourne, Peter Frampton, and Foreigner. This week's Spotlight Museum is the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. The museum is located on the National Mall, right across the street from the Washington Monument. The museum highlights the experience and contributions of African Americans to specifically America and, more broadly, the world. A lot of the museum deals with slavery and civil rights. There's a slave cabin, for instance, an airplane that was used by a member of the Tuskegee Airmen, as well as items pertaining to the military, religion, literature, and politics. The museum also has an extensive collection of artifacts concerning music. The museum boasts Chuck Berry's pink Cadillac, for instance, along with stage costumes worn by Parliament Funkadelic and many others. Also, other recordings, sheet music, photos, and such. And there is a really great online resource on their website where they put a lot of their collection online to look at. The museum is open daily from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Admission is free. After all, your tax dollars paid for it. However... The only way that you can walk into the museum without a pass is if you show your military ID. Otherwise, you either have to try to get timed passes in the morning if you want to go, which run out extremely quickly, by the way, or you can get passes in advance online. Check the museum's website, nmaahc.si.edu for information about the time passes along with COVID admission information since the COVID regulations seem to change on a whim, especially in this post-emergency era and with COVID kind of popping up every now and then. And no, we don't expect you to remember that link. That link we'll throw into the show notes for you. Tupac Shakur. The name commands respect, vilification, admiration, contempt, depending on which side of the fence you're on. He was the greatest rapper of all time, or the second greatest behind Biggie, all of the above, depending, of course, on what side of the East Coast-West Coast rivalry you sit on. For my money, I personally give the edge to Pac because of his entire body of work, even though I'm an East Coast guy. Unfortunately, while Pac consistently put out quality albums, Biggie never got the chance to. 
having been killed while in the process of doing work for his newest album, which was his second one. Ever since Tupac was born in 1971 in East Harlem, New York, he couldn't help but become involved in social and political issues. A lot of his family was involved in one way or another with the Black Liberation Army. In fact, Pac's stepfather was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list for a few years. The family moved out of Harlem to Baltimore, Maryland in 1986. When he went to the Baltimore School for the Arts, a new world opened up for him. He studied acting, ballet, jazz, and poetry. He also became involved with the Young Communist League and developed a lifelong friendship with fellow student Jada Pinkett Smith. A couple of years later, the family moved to California. Pac started going to poetry classes held by poet Layla Steinberg. Layla was involved in putting on a concert that had Tupac's group at the time, Strictly Dope. In attendance was Atron Gregory, who signed Tupac as a backup singer with the hip-hop group Digital Underground. He ended up rapping on Digital Underground song, Same Song. In 1991, he released his debut album, Tupacalypse Now. The songs that came off of that album were Brenda's Got a Baby and Trapped. For the next five years, Tupac released four more albums. The vast majority of his songs dealt with social issues such as police brutality, poverty, domestic violence, and such. Some of his biggest hits were California Love with Dr. Dre, Two of America's Most Wanted with Snoop Dogg, I Get Around, Keep Your Head Up, Dear Mama, How Do You Want It, and I Ain't Mad At You. Of course, you can't mention Tupac without thinking about the bad that goes along with the good. There were his sexual assault charges and also a charge for assaulting director Alan Hughes. The sexual assault charge put him in jail three times. There was his beef with Biggie. There was the attempt on his life outside of a New York City radio station. There was his lawsuit against the city of Oakland, California after getting beaten up by two Oakland cops who accused him of jaywalking, of all things to beat people up by. During one of his arrests for sexual assault, bail was set at $1.4 million. Tupac's savior in this case would be someone who was there when Pac met his tragic end, the infamous Suge Knight. Suge and Pac worked out a deal. In exchange for Suge posting Pac's bail, Pac would record three albums for Death Row Records. Suge Knight owned the record label at that time. Pac's first two albums in the deal were made into the 28-song double album, All Eyes on Me. What most people don't realize is that all of the songs were recorded in two weeks between October 13th through the 27th, 1995. That is a staggering amount of work in two weeks for what turned out to be one of the greatest hip-hop albums ever made. The album was produced primarily by Johnny J and Daz Dillinger. Dr. Dre would help out on a couple of songs, and the album had guest spots from Dre, Snoop Dogg, George Clinton, Nate Dogg, Method Man, Red Man, among many others. The album, when released on February 13, 1996, became the first album to hit number one on the Billboard Albums chart from an artist who was in prison at the time, and would go on to sell over 10 million certified copies in America. The album had the mega hits uh, California Love with Dr. Dre, 
two of America's most wanted with Snoop Dogg and How Do You Want It with Casey and Jojo from Jodeci. The final song released from the album, I Ain't Mad At You, would be released after this next and unfortunate final event. On the night of September 7, 1996, Quincy Jones and actress Peggy Lipton's daughter, Kadita Jones, waited for Tupac in a Las Vegas hotel room. Kadita was Tupac's fiancé at the time. Tupac and his record label owner, Suge Knight, were at the Mike Tyson heavyweight boxing match in Vegas. After the match, they walked through the MGM Grand Hotel when someone in their entourage spotted a member of the Crips street gang. A fight broke out in the hotel. Pac and Knight left the hotel and drove off and headed toward the Club 662, which was owned by Suge. They were stopped by the cops for not having license plates on the car, which Suge was driving. They were later let go without a ticket, as the plates were actually in the trunk of the car. After a minute or two, they stopped at a stoplight at the corner of East Flamingo Road and Covell Lane. As they waited for the light to turn green, a white Cadillac pulled up next to them. Shots were fired from the Cadillac, hitting Tupac in the chest, leg, and arm. Suge was hit by shrapnel. Tupac was pronounced dead on September 13th from his gunshot wounds. You can find some of Tupac's memorabilia in the collection of the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from and also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening.